0: Well, here we are again. <laughs> right field, left field, center field. <laughs> you know of all the churches, buildings in which I speak, this one is the most challenging because half the congregation seems to be in the right field and left field, <laughs> and it's hard to not ignore any field. <clears throat> But God is gracious. By the way, aren't we glad to see Lynn here today? Oh, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law does He meditate day and night. And He shall be like a tree planted by a stream that bringeth forth His fruit in His season, and His leaf also withereth not, and everything that He doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff, which the wind driveth away, and therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly, they shall perish. Psalm 1, many feel, is the introduction to the entire psaltery. Because in that one psalm we see the themes that are repeated over and over again in all the other 149 poems that compose the psaltery. Sometimes elaborating, sometimes presenting the other side of the coin. But the themes are found throughout the psalms. Not only that, we find the themes and sometimes even the very language of Psalm 1 found in other parts of the Scripture. This is a psalm that just almost cries out, Preach me! Because it is so simple and so forthright and falls into such a natural division and it cries out, Preach me! I wonder if the Holy Spirit was bringing Psalm 1 to the mind of Jeremiah when he was called upon to preach a sermon against the sins of Israel. Jeremiah 17, Thus saith the Lord... Cursed be the man who trusts in mankind, who makes the flesh his strength, and who turns his heart away from God. He should be like a bush in the desert. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in stony places in the wastes of the wilderness, and when the heat comes, he'll fear he will dwell in a land of salt where there is no inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who trusts Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by water. When the heat comes, he'll not fear. His leaves shall be green. In the year of drought, he'll not be anxious. Neither shall he fail to yield fruit. Isn't it interesting that Jeremiah almost paraphrases Psalm chapter 1 as he brings that condemnation against Israel. This is a marvelous psalm. And I'm sure for some of you, If we were to ask you to list your favorite scriptures, you may not say this is favorite, but you'd say it's one of them. I also imagine that if I would say everyone here who can recite Psalm 1 stand, many of you would stand. And if I would say, let's all recite it in unity, it would sound like a Pentecostal tongues meeting because we'd hear it in so many different versions. But I'm sure many of you could recite this wonderful psalm. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. These three conditions are presented as simultaneous situations. And yet as we look at them, we see that they are the natural progression that leads ultimately to the most horrible ungodly condition and that's the way we want to look at verse 1 to begin this morning blessed is the man by the way some years ago when Bruce and Jim Barger and I had gone to Goshen Indiana and we were speaking to a group of Mennonites and I talking about the man of God the man of God the man of God and at the end of the first session the first break a group of Mennonite women came up to me and said all you're talking about is the men what about us Well, we must understand that in Scripture, you know, that's the way language is. Man of God means everybody of God. So blessed is the man of God that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. What does it mean to walk in the counsel of the ungodly? To whose counsel do you turn in making decisions in life? Do you just go along with the crowd? Everybody's doing it. Do you listen to ungodly university professors? Thank God we have godly ones in this service today. Bach, who was the president of Harvard for a number of years, and as he gave the annual report to the faculty, actually it was the 86 to 89 report, And he had just discussed in that report many of the horrible scandals that had happened in government and terrible things that had happened in business. He said it has become apparent, and I'm paraphrasing here, it has become apparent that religion and churches are no longer able to impart moral values to our culture. Therefore, we must ask what we in the university might be able to do. That really shook the faculty, (laughs) because the faculty at Harvard for years had been trying to distance itself for having any kind of a moral role. As a matter of fact, if a professor were considered to be goody, already his voice was discounted. Dewey, who is the father of mother education, said, we want to be good, but not goody. (laughs) And yet that was his challenge. Sad to say, most universities have even ignored that role, disavowed it at times, even gone against it. Whose counsel do you listen to when determining the direction of your life? I've had more than one businessman say to me, more than one, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, but in the business world I have to forget my Christianity. Horrible, isn't it? (laughs) Whose counsel do you follow? I especially want to speak to the young people. And now you say, what does that mean, who's the young people? Well, I think you know who you are. Maybe I'm one of them. (laughs) Oh, my, what a vulnerable time you are in life. Boys want the girls to like them, and girls want the boys to like them, and... uh, So if you don't conform, if you don't do the popular thing, the girls won't like you or the boys won't like you. Girls compromise their morals because they want to be liked. In whose counsel do you walk? You know, it's interesting to think about the terms that have often been used to describe the in thing. Uh, One period, it's cool. Another period, it's hot. Another period, it's hip. You know, there was one period in which it was copacetic. Now, I don't know whether it's copacetic, hip, hot, cool, whatever. But if you listen to the counsel of some about the end thing, someday you will find it's hot, terribly hot. There's a hell at the other end of such a life. Here's an interesting thing about teenagers how many parents have had a wonderful beautiful child and all of a sudden something happens that they become the most absurd human being that ever walked upon the earth physiologically here's why neurologists for a long time thought that the human brain was fully developed by the age of 10 and the only difference between the a brain of a teenager and the brain of an adult was an adult brain just had more miles on it. But in recent years, that understanding has been adjusted. Indeed, the brain may be fully developed by the age of 10 or shortly thereafter, but the ability to communicate between the various parts of the brain is not yet developed. You see, for the parts of the brain to communicate with one another, there are certain uh, nerve cells that have to be active. And upon these nerve cells, there has to be something called myelin. Myelin is a fatty white substance that functions, we might say, like the insulation. as the insulation on electric wires and keeps the circuits from shorting out. And if there is a lack of myelin on any brain nerve cells, then that communication cannot take place with effectiveness. Now it is the frontal lobe of the brain that is the area of the brain that makes judgments, good, bad, wise, the consequences of behavior, and you have a fully developed frontal lobe, but in your teen years you do not have enough myelin on those cerebral nerve cells that enable the frontal lobes to accurately and effectively communicate with the rest of the brain. And so this part may be making good judgment, but the rest of the brain doesn't get the message. And so suddenly some well-behaved, compliant child decides to paint his hair purple with green stripes and wear studded clothes (laughs) and do whatever Now it's not until you're around 25 years of age that you have enough myelin on those circuits for them to function well. By the way, the amount of myelin in the human brain peaks at around 50 and then begins decreasing. And so when you're about 80 years of age, the average person has as much myelin in his brain as an 18 or 19 year old. Now, I'm 83. And you know, that's wonderful, a bit of knowledge. Because sometimes if I might be doing something and you say, Jim, why did you do that? It's not my fault. (laughs) I'm a victim of myelin deficiency. (laughs) But it is important for our young people to be aware of the fact that it is so easy for them to listen to the counsel of the ungodly and be influenced in ways that they would not be influenced when they're 30 years of age. We'll talk about that a little more. But oh, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. You see, that's the next stage. The first stage of the downward spiral is listening to counsel of the ungodly. The second stage is you don't listen to the counsel of the ungodly anymore because you become one. That's who you are. Your definition is, I'm a sinner. And so you start spending time hanging out, lounging, standing around in the middle of the road, shall we say? Say with, with sinners, that becomes your company, your environment, and you increasingly become more and more and more of a sinner. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three bad companions corrupt good morals. And anybody who's lived very long knows that's true. Sometimes... Young persons might look at me and say, you're an old man, you don't know what life's all about. It's because I'm an old man, I do. (laughs) I've walked it, I've been there, I've faced every temptation you face, and I've given in to everyone, not everyone, (laughs) but a number of them. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Serious statement. Paul wrote more than one letter to the Corinthian church. We happen to have two of them. We know he wrote at least three and maybe more. In chapter 1, he keeps referring to a letter that he wrote that we don't have. And in chapter 5, he addresses a situation in the Corinthian church that he, in his first letter, had told them to correct, and they hadn't done it. There was a man who was having sexual relationships with his stepmother. And Paul said, I wrote you in my first letter to not have anything to do with somebody like that. You are boasting, you're proud. We are such an inclusive church. Paul said, shame on you. Someone who claims to be a Christian, who is living an ungodly life, He says, shun them, excommunicate them, do not let them in the door of your meeting. But he said, of course, some of you reading that letter went too far (laughs) because I said to not associate with the moral persons, he lists them. And some of you said, well, that means we have to pull away and go hide in a desert somewhere, (laughs) because we're surrounded by people like that. Paul said, I didn't mean that you should not be out in the world where these people are, else we'd have to go out of the world. You're going to rent apartments from immoral people. You're going to possibly rent apartments to immoral people. You're going to buy groceries from immoral people. You're going to sell to immoral people. You're going to have jobs side by side with immoral people, he said. You know, that's life. But do not become unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Do not so entwine your life that when God's dealing with them, you get to ricochet when he fires at them. And that happens, doesn't it? You know, partnerships are that way. How many times have we seen someone in a partnership with an unbeliever and as God is dealing with this one, this one happens. <laughs> has to suffer the same. Even among Christians, we've seen that. Partnerships are dangerous things because when God's dealing with one, the other partner also gets the impact, but especially do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. This sure does happen when it comes to the uh, Cupid with his arrow, doesn't it? <laughs> young man sees a lovely young lady he's a Christian, she isn't. Cupid takes careful aim and zing. Wow. (laughs) He's got you. It's interesting to me to see when the Israelites had conquered the Amorites and they were coming toward Moab and the king of Moab, Balak, said, what can I do? I know we cannot defeat these people. Jehovah the God, their God is greater than all gods. And he had an idea you know, there's a man who lives in our land named Balaam. He's a prophet. He's able to pronounce curses and blessings. I know what I'll do. I'll give him some money and have him pronounce a curse on the Israelites. Well, we could go on and on and on with the story, and every time Balaam wanted to take the money and tried to do it, God didn't let him, he ended up pronouncing a blessing instead of a curse. So finally, Balaam said, really, here's what we can do. You know, these Moabite women are good-looking women. And so what we can do is have this, have the Moabite women seduce the Israelite men and get them to begin worshiping in the immoral way that they worship your gods. In other words, if we can't curse them, let's corrupt them. It worked. How many times have we seen a godless, Man, young man, capture a godly young woman. How many times have we seen a godly young man led astray because his heartstrings have become entwined with a godless young woman? If there is any area I would especially say to young people you need to guard your heart, it is in that area. Cupid is an excellent archer, (laughs) and he knows how to hit you head on. Oh, blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. What a horrible place to end up. And haven't we seen it? People who seem to be stellar saints, and they start down this path, and they go here, and they go here, and they end up not just sinners, but scorners. Scorners who will not listen to any word from God. Don't want to, refuse to. And they become scornful of those who do. A dreadful thing to think about, isn't it? Think about this. Picture this being God's standard. And picture this being the way we live our lives. And the dynamic should be this, that our lives move more and more and more toward God's standard. But what happens in the very human world that we're living in today is no, we move the standard toward our behavior and in time we can't tell the difference. And we become... Scorners. Horrible thing to be a scorner. We think of those passages such as in Hebrews six talking about describing one who's fully saved, knows the Holy Spirit, and so on. And then it says if they fall away, it is impossible to renew them again unto repentance. Now this is a participle in the Greek. It can be a circumstantial participle, which means if they do this, if they fall away, they can't be called back. It can also be a time circumstantial participle, which means when they do or while they are doing it, they can't be called back. Difficult to tell, really, which it is, (laughs) but whichever it is, it's a horrible state, isn't it? Think about a radio station sending out a very powerful radio signal. And at home you have your little radio and you turn it on and suddenly the singing or the voice or whatever comes out that's being broadcast over that signal. Then you turn your radio off. And it makes no difference how powerful that signal might be if your radio is turned off nothing's going to happen. In Scripture, time and again, there are those verses that seem to say it is possible to turn your set off so that regardless of how powerful the signal the Holy Spirit is sending, nothing's going to happen. Your receiver is turned off. We think of the passage in John, First John, Second John, anyway, <laughs> talks about a sin that is a sin unto death. It's urging us to pray for sinners, but then it says, there is a sin unto death, and I do not say that you should pray for that. Think of that. Somebody has gone to the point that God says don't even pray for them anymore. Jesus spoke of blasphemy the Holy Spirit, which would not be forgiven. I don't know how to recognize if somebody's gone that far, and so I'm going to pray anyway. But Scripture acknowledges that such a place can actually be achieved or arrived at or come to. Horrible thing to think about, isn't it? Damned because a scorner sits with his set turned off, and the strongest impulse of the Holy Spirit against him, or unto him, does nothing scary to think about. But his delight, the blessed man, is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now if you're a young man today, and you say, you know, okay, I've got a myelin shortage. <laughs> I don't have it yet. What can I do? Psalm 119, Nine. How shall a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to my word. <laughs> That's the answer. You see? I don't need to listen to anybody's counsel, <laughs> really, although it's good to listen to older guys' counsel. But the bottom line is this. What does the Word of God say? That's the bottom line. That's what. So if I can't trust my own judgment, if my inclinations are leading a certain way, what does the Word of God say? We can't always listen, even to our parents, although we usually should. I can remember when I was a teenager and really serious about my commitment to God. One man who was very significant in my life, a family member, said, Jim, you don't want to get very serious about church. You will miss out on all the fun in life. Isn't that something? Thank God I did not heed that. Another one said, you never want to get close to preachers because all they want is your money. I pray to God. (laughs) That cannot be said of me. But the bottom line is, his delight is in the law of God and in his law doth he meditate Day and night now you know that's maybe a hyper hyperbole if you're working on the brakes on a car and they're not going right. you can't be thinking about the Bible. you're trying and this is really realistic. <laughs> My family can laugh because last uh, weekend we were working on Jimmy's brakes and we discovered something new about when the rear piston is operated a certain way because you have hydraulic emergency brake. When it's that way, you no longer have a cable, you have hydraulics running to it, and so instead of compressing the piston with a clamp, you have to screw it in. We didn't know that. We were doing our best. We were not thinking about the Word of God. (laughs) Neither were we cursing. But we were puzzled. (laughs) So when it says, in his law, doth he meditate day and night, he means that as one Ponders the issues of life as one is looking for answers, as one feeds himself spiritually, he feeds upon scripture. The ungodly man is like the chaff that the wind driveth away. <laughs> Remember. Jesus Christ, as he brought that marvelous teaching that we call the Sermon on the Mount. by the way, if you want to know how to live, read the Sermon on the Mount. And then he ended it by giving the parable of the man who built a house upon the sand and a man who built the house on the rock, and the man who built his house on the sand, the winds came, the, f- the winds came, the floods came, and it fell, and great was it fall thereof, but another man built his house on the sand. This is in the closing of Matthew 7. And the winds came, and the floods came, and the house stood. And he said, if you build your life, and again we're paraphrasing, upon me, upon my word, that's building upon the rock. If you don't, you're building your life on the sand. Now there's still another dimension to that, however, because today we increasingly are having a world that is looking at the Sermon on the Mount and guiding their life by that, but they're doing it as humanists, not as followers of Jesus. Michael Bloomberg, who recently contributed $500 million to try to undo the influence of the NRA, NRA, talked about how much he had given to Uh, relieve world poverty, how much he had given to uh, relieve illiteracy in the world, and on and on. He said, if there is a God, if there is a heaven, when I get there, I'll not be examined. I'll just walk right on in because, he said, I have earned it. You see, following the Sermon on the Mount, he's helped the poor. He's done all this. But he's going straight to hell. Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father by me." And you can read the Sermon on the Mount, and follow all of its rules. But if you've not given your heart to Jesus Christ, if He is not your Lord and your Savior, all the good works in the world will get you nowhere but hell. Although you might bless a lot of folks along the way. <laughs> That's true. Albert Moeller, the president of Southern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary, recently was invited by the Mormons to speak at the Mormon Temple. And in his speaking, he said, I cannot compromise what I know to be true. And you and we are concerned about the direction our culture is going. And then he made this. What I think is a marvelous statement, we may not go to heaven together, we may go to jail together. (laughs) Isn't that a great statement? And that's true. We may may go to jail with Mormons, but unless they turn to Jesus as the only way, we'll not go to heaven together. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his law, his, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be a tree planted by streams of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf also shall not wither, and everything he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff at the wind drive of the way, and therefore the ungodly will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Praise be to God.